This is Tack Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Welcome to Extension Horses Tech Box Talk, Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University, and joining me today is Dr. Chris Skelly from Michigan State University, and she's the state equine specialist there as well. So welcome, Chris. Well, hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So our horse story today, uh, we're going to share the story of essentially Jane Doe, I guess, and Chris's experience with rabies in horses. So Chris, tell us a little bit about your past experience. Well, sure. It was way back in 95. Um, I actually grew up in Texas. And after I uh, graduated from Texas A&M University with my doctorate, gigum, my first um, teaching position was a small cowboy college out in uh, West Texas. Uh, And within our program, we had a, a small horse farm and about a herd of uh, 10 mares. And we had bred six of those mares for the first time in quite a while. And we had our first full crop. And within that first full crop then, I assigned uh, students uh, uh, mares and foals to uh, watch and attend to um, and give daily reports on. And unfortunately, one of the mares, and actually, as it would turn out, our nicest mare with our nicest uh, new baby. That is um, how it works usually, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, contracted rabies. Um, so and did- that in itself is a very long story. <laughs> well, that's why we're here. I want to hear this. How on earth did you know this? How did you know she had rabies? Well, um, actually, it took quite a while to, uh, to confirm that she did have rabies. Um, it started out, this, this little baby was a little spitfire, but also really sweet. The students were handling her every day, taking vital signs and uh, working with her on just some, you know, simple leading techniques and whatnot. So every day we'd get a report on this little baby and she was just, you know, a stone's throw from my office when I um, walked outside. So we watched her all the time. Well, within going to bed at night and waking up in the morning, uh, the students came into my office uh, that morning and said, "Um, something's not right with this baby. She's, uh, She's sick. We don't know what's going on. And we went out there and observed her. And at that point in time, she was at a standstill, just hanging her head. And to me, it looked like she was exhibiting some neurological symptoms. Um, I certainly didn't expect her to uh, necessarily have a cold at that point. There wasn't any nasal discharge, but she was slobbering a lot. And not only was she slobbering, and this was the real scary part, she had started to bite on her tongue. So you could actually see where she was uh, uh, biting her tongue and bleeding inside of her mouth. Um, And all of this in a baby that I believe she was two to three weeks old at that time. And healthy as anything 
the day before showing no signs of depression whatsoever. So a very on, uh, sudden onset, uh, onset of these symptoms. Um, so we called the veterinarian out and uh, in that neck of the woods, you know, the veterinarians are, you know, more uh, there for uh, cattle, but they would also do uh, ranch horses. But this particular vet that was closest, I, I would say that he was prim primarily a, a cattle veterinarian. Well, he came out and he assured us that this horse had a respiratory disease <laughs> and, uh, and that we had, and we should have caught it, you know, a week ago. And uh, I assured him that this horse had actually been right as rain. Uh, up until that morning, and there were no symptoms. We had the vital statistics to show right, it. The but, data. <laughs> but, you know, at, at that point in time, you know, vet trumps, uh, vet trumps instructors, so we went along with the initial diagnosis of respiratory infection, and uh, which was really problematic. And the big problem with that was as we were treating this uh, baby for respiratory disease, and as she got worse, and we were pumping fluids into it to her, you know, uh, staying up with her day and night for this went on for good five to seven days. Um, so, Chris, that many more people were exposed. Right. I guess I'm just thinking. You said that she was slobbering and slobbering. Blood. So uh, my guess is, if you're treating yes. her. This is probably not ideal, right? <laughs> exactly. And uh, the rabies virus is actually located in the saliva. Um, and that's why, you know, if a dog bites you, a strange dog bites you, um, they'll usually recommend if you don't know the uh, vaccination history of that dog and it can't be confirmed, you have to get rabies shots. So um, any kind of break of skin that allows saliva or even just, you know, uh, working with a horse, getting saliva on you, and then potentially that saliva gets either, you know, in any kind of uh, cavity, you know, your mouth or your eyes or your nose, then you're uh, being exposed to the rabies virus. Um, so the horse so, doesn't necessarily have to bite you then. No, not at all. And in this case, you know, there was plenty of exposure to fluids with this baby because of uh, her injury in her mouth and uh, excessive uh, salivation that was going on during this period. Uh, so consequently, consequently, when it was all said and done, we ended up with about I want to say about uh, 25 people that the uh, state medical team came in and confirmed had legitimately been exposed to the oh virus. God. So all of uh, your so, students? <laughs> so basically all of my students and myself had to receive a series of rabies shots after the fact. So that initial diagnosis, you know, of uh, respiratory disease was very hurtful. I think, you know, looking back and I was, you know, younger then and of course very respectful and still am of the uh, veterinarian profession. But what I should have done was use my own common sense and said, well, if this horse is neurological, what can that be? And of course, 
when I was thinking neurological initially, I'm thinking of other, uh, you know, neurological type of diseases that horses can be exposed right. to, and especially in in um, in Texas along the southern border, I'm thinking of encephalitis. Oh, sure. So. Um, rabies really just wasn't at that point in time on my radar chart. But if it had been, uh, I would have said, well, maybe it is just respiratory disease, but I'm going to treat it <laughs> like rabies. Um, so that would have been the smartest thing to do. And then just limit the people uh, that had access to that to that full so um, I have a zillion questions <laughs> so, oh my gosh so oh how did goodness. you did she eventually just die she, and then... she eventually died and at that point i had raised enough at that point i was really like doing a little bit more research and like boy something was not right we need to have this uh full autopsies because this was not a respiratory infection gone bad. And so we, uh, as typical in these cases, we sent in her head to be um, analyzed and the report came back, just the head is all they need. And uh, the report came back as confirmed rabies case. So that initiated a... um, a lot of work from the state department um, uh, to come in and um, analyze the case, see, and especially since it was at a public institution, uh, see how many people were actually exposed. Um, And they did a phenomenal job um, in doing that and answering all of our questions, because of course, as soon as you hear you've been exposed to rabies, you want to know, well, (laughs) What does that mean for me? <laughs> Did you feel like you were going crazy? You want to bite somebody? <laughs> Hence the uh, nickname Rabies uh, Christine after that. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so yes, yeah, so they came in. They were great. Um, and uh, because this was a public institution, the um, the school was actually terrific in paying for it, ensuring everybody got their a series of uh, uh, shots uh, so that we wouldn't contract rabies. Now, this was pretty much of a precautionary measure. Uh, To date, there's no history of a human contracting rabies from a horse. However, that's not one of the things that you want to be the first in the literature to So all precautions were taken. And uh, after uh, the State Department interviewed uh, all of the people that potentially could have had contact, which I think was in the 40s or so, they narrowed down the uh, population that needed to receive uh, the vaccine to a little over 20, I believe. So um, it, it the vaccine, or not the vaccine, but just the uh, series of shots to protect you against uh, uh, rabies. And that was extremely expensive per person in the thousands of dollars wow. per person. So um, that is another reason why um, I'm a huge believer in ensuring that all of your animals, including your horses, are vaccinated for rabies because of the uh, public health risk 
uh, you know, not only a life of, uh, of livestock or in this case, you know, all of the potential that we saw in that newborn foal, you know, we lost, but also just uh, as a public health safety measure, your livestock and your animals need to be vaccinated annually uh, for rabies. So now I have a couple more questions for you. So I've always heard the the rumors and the myths with like the, the rabies shots that people have to get, like if you've been exposed, do they really do it in your stomach? They do not do it in your stomach. Um, they do it in your, and really the fatty part of your thigh or your butt. And it hurts. <laughs> it's a big old needle, big old shot. And, you know, I had some pretty tough rodeo riders that were getting a little faint and queasy every time they go in. And I'd have to pretty much uh, push them through the door every time to get their shots. But, you know, so they were a little more intimidated by the shots than their, the Bronx and the bulls they oh, were goodness. riding. Yeah, so it's not necessarily a pleasant experience, but it's also not a terrible, terrible experience. Right. So it's nothing to uh, not do if you're in that situation, because the alternative could be fatal. Oh, sure. Yeah. So did you ever figure out how she actually uh, contracted rabies? Well, we actually did, uh, al along with the um, state uh, state staff that they sent out. This mare and foal were turned out into a little adjacent uh, side pasture lot. And we went through there and we really looked around uh, that lot and we did find a little fox den there. Oh. Uh, no, uh, no animals in there, but we did find a den. So we surmised that the little uh, filly was nosing around, you know, as fillies do while the, their moms eat and uh, probably put her nose where, you know, she shouldn't have and uh, a fox may have bit her on the nose. Uh, at that point, we didn't really have her head to look for any bites along her nose. But, you know, that's that's one scenario. It could have been, you know, other any other kind of rabid animal that she might have come in contact with, most likely out in the uh, the side pasture in her turnout lot. But that's the closest one we could come to. So you hadn't really known there were any outbreaks, you know, in the wildlife population at that time. So it was just really out of the blue. You know, uh, in, in Texas, in that area of Texas, it isn't uncommon to have uh, a lot of coyotes uh, end up with rabies. I'm trying to remember, it was either the year before or the year after that there was uh, kind of an upshoot in rabies in the coyote po population. So there is that. Um, so yeah, especially in Texas, rabies isn't as, isn't uncommon. Uh, now that I live in Michigan, we don't see as many rabies cases as you would hear about in Texas, uh, but they definitely do it, still do exist. So did you have to go and then vaccinate all of the other horses on the property or were they in like quarantine? I know that the incubation period for rabies can be pretty long. I, I read somewhere that you, can, you may need to monitor them for up to six months. Yeah, you know, we didn't uh, 
the other um, horses were not put in quarantine. And actually, I ended up leaving that uh, institution shortly thereafter. Is this a cause and effect? <laughs> it was just a matter of circumstances. I had I, I, I got my uh, offer at Michigan State. So, but yes, um, no, none of those horses were uh, quarantined that I'm aware of. And I, probably the biggest reason is that mare and foal were fairly isolated. Gotcha. Um, and because that foal was only a couple of weeks old and she was, you know, right with her dam all the time, uh, we really didn't feel like there was a, a risk or there wasn't any assessment of a risk for the other horses at that point. The mare herself, you know, was uh, just kept to herself, but um, there wasn't really even a lot of uh, concern for that mare at that point. So rabies is not why you left Texas then to get no, away from <laughs> No, 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 Purely so I could expen uh, experience the lovely Michigan winters. <laughs> there you go. That's character building as well. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the best practice then for people? I mean, the vaccine is pretty effective, um, but what if you... Do they have to have boosters? Do you have to know your horse's rabies vaccination history to get them on a program? Well, you definitely want to get all of your horses on a program. So, um, and, and there may be an initial shot, and then uh, you go from there on your annual vaccinations. So every horse, uh, as part of their core vaccines, uh, that core vaccine uh, series should now include uh, rabies. Uh, initially, you know, that's something that is not new, but uh, back in 1995, rabies uh, was not necessarily considered a core vaccine. Uh, it was more something that people would recommend, but wasn't frequently given to horses. So I think now our outlook has really changed on uh, how we view uh, the rabies vaccine. And uh, most people will include that. Uh, most veterinarians will administer it uh, in their uh, core vaccines in your, in your horse's annual vaccination program. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, this filly you said was slobbering and kind of showed some neurological symptoms. And I know if I see neurologic symptoms, I don't, I would not just say, oh, clearly, you know, rabies, that's not what's going to come to my mind. Uh, but what are kind of some things that owners um, would see if indeed rabies was an issue? And then what kind of action should they take or precautions for their own um, health and well-being? Well, I think maybe the lesson to my story is anytime you see neurological uh, symptoms in the horse, you immediately call the veterinarian and work on a diagnosis. And you never rule out rabies until you have a confirmed diagnosis of something else. Because rabies is going to look very different in all horses. One horse may simply just be depressed. Another horse may show signs of, uh, of uh, self-mutilation to where they're biting themselves. Um, like this little filly, you know, uh, had bit her tongue. Some horses will go lame. Um, you may see a horse uh, pressing their head and walking in a cir circle. Again, all of these symptoms could be signs of other uh, neurological issues, you know, EPM 
or, um, or encephalitis. Um, so you really have to, uh, to rule out rabies by positively identifying another condition. Um, some other symptoms potentially could be uh, a loss of appetite. Um, some horses may appear to be choking. Really all of the things that go wrong with horses. All of the things that can go wrong. So um, I think the important thing is to limit the amount of people that are exposed to that horse uh, that's showing any kind of neurological symptoms until you get them uh, diagnosed uh, by a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. And even in our case, you know, we, we did have a veterinarian diagnosis, but unfortunately it um, wasn't correct. So sometimes I think too, you need to, to trust where you're out where you're at and how you know your horses and how you know your management and uh, have a lot of trust and confidence in uh, what you know about your horse population um, and always, always go on the side of caution. Uh, when it comes to some of these um, extreme symptoms. Yeah, I know. I don't thankfully have a rabies story uh, to share, but I have a neurological one, which will be a different episode. But I know when, when my, it was a toxicity thing and I at least could recognize neurological symptoms. And that's what I told my veterinarian right away. I said, this is not colic, it's neurological make your choice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she knew exactly what she was kind of going into. Uh, so I could talk her through what I had seen and, you know, all the, the uh, vital signs I had taken. So she knew what was, she was up against, but I thought for her, it was very important to know that she was coming to see um, two neurologic cases. Well, and I think that's another really important aspect of this particular particular scenario is establish a, a good relationship with a, uh, a veterinarian uh, to where, you know, they have confidence in what you're reporting and you have confidence in what you're in what they're reporting and that you can actually work together on a, uh, on a diagnosis and a, and a health plan for your horse. And in my case, in this scenario, uh, the veterinarian that uh, we called out for this was, I had never actually worked with this veterinarian before. Uh, so he didn't know me and I didn't know him. And we had this unusual case. So that's not necessarily the best case scenario, scenario uh, you know, when you have fairly traumatic case to have a veterinarian come in that you've never worked with before. Um, and uh, also, I think with with horses, because you know they are quite different than some other of our other livestock species, having a veterinarian that uh, has a focused equine practice is important in uh, getting a solid diagnosis on uh, these cases. I've seen some great veterinarians uh, in mixed practices before. Uh, but I do think uh, there's an advantage of a, uh, if you're working with an equine practitioner that's really focused uh, working with horses. So now final, final question maybe. At no point in time did you guys have to hide in a station wagon from the little horse attacking you? No. No, God bless her. You know, she was, uh, it, it, it was really tragic because, you know, she... It, one day, you know, the Stutes were all out there loving on her and she was loving them back. 
And the next day, you know, uh, she was basically gone from us, you know, just from a, a personality standpoint, there wasn't a lot left there. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, I, I don't know that she suffered, um, because I, I do think she was, you know, she went down very fast and uh, stayed down after that and was pretty quiet and stuff her last few days. But it was extremely unfortunate. But no, she didn't chase us around. Although I've heard that, you know, some horses will uh, really change and become uh, aggressive in their personality. So just another little bullet point to add to your list of rabies <laughs> symptoms it could be something else <laughs> yeah no they're actually bad <laughs> <laughs> how do i know he has rabies or he just hates me <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well i guess the bottom line is if we vaccinate them then we can easily rule out that it's just an angry horse <laughs> yes and and in this little filly's case if her mom had been vaccinated appropriately um, then this baby would have had uh, passive immunity for several months until we vaccinated her. Oh, so, uh, you know, if you look at it uh, as a potential whole herd health program, even if you're, um, you know, even if you have a lot of horses, you need to include uh, rabies as part of that annual vaccination program talk to your veterinarian about what what kind of boosters your broodmare needs before she foals and when those should be given. Um, and not only should the mare be uh, appropriately vaccinated uh, so that she can pass on that immunity to her foal, uh, but you should be working with your veterinarians on uh, a health care plan for your foals that includes the initial uh, vaccination series and boosters so that they in turn can start their annual vaccination program. Well, thanks, Chris, for joining us and sharing, my guess is a rather unique story. <laughs> we don't get a lot of, I've, I've never met anybody actually that had any horse rabies experience. So congratulations yeah, well, on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank goodness it's it's uh, it is very rare because um, you know anytime you lose a animal, especially unexpectedly like that, it's uh, extremely hard. But then you toss in the public health issues, and it makes the situation even scarier. So uh, it's it's good that it's rare. I think uh, now that uh, more horse people are on board and vaccinating their horses annually. They understand the importance of the core vaccines and rabies being included that will continue to see fewer and fewer rabies cases in our equine population. Well, thanks for joining us. And this has been Extension Horses Tech Box Talk for stories with a purpose. Bye. <laughs>